podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today for the Axon Bulletin, I'm joined by Anthony Haggerty, Jim Orr, and Laura Bradburn. Now, this is going to be an interesting discussion, that's for sure. Anthony, you wake up this morning, back at seven, there's an announcement from Celtic following an announcement at the Stock Exchange. What is uh, your first thoughts on the announcement that Peter Lowell is retiring from his role at Celtic? We spoke of earlier, and my first thought was, I was telling you, it was song, how I rem- remember, and I'm going to remember Peter Lowell as a kind of chant. Two Peter Lowells, there's only two Peter Lowells. One, the businessman, business fan who sat on the board and did terrific and extraordinary things for the club, and the other one, the meddler, who the fans at the end of his tenure were beginning to turn their eye and fire on. And so that was my first thought. I'm not, I'm not actually surprised that he's leaving. Mm-hmm. A, lot of people, a lot of Celtic fans out there are saying they were shot. But I, I'm, I'm not in the slightest. But, you know, the, the first Peter Law, you have to take your hat off and off your cap. He drove this club to become a hugely successful commercial enterprise. You know, they, they did have an unprecedented period of domestic success. And he won 29 trophies, as he likes to tell you, you know, that, through that tenure. 13 league titles, four pebbles, and the last 16 in Europe three times. You know, with sound financial footing, they were posting their best results year on year under his tenure. You know, and he played a pivotal role in the appointment of Brendan Rodgers. And he... But what the one thing that he did do was he oversaw this whole transfer dealings with Celtic players where clubs from Europe or down south couldn't come and raid their club and commit heist and act a grand larceny. He got market value for a lot of players playing in the Scottish League. And that's in some of the deals he, he managed to pull off there. Houdini would have been proud of, you know, he's a magician. You know, so Wanyama, he... Foster, Van Dyke, Dembele, Tim Tierney, and latterly Frimpong. So those are the things that I applaud the first Peter Lowell for, and he deserves every kind of praise that's coming to him. The second one, 
I can't because he foisted projects, not tried and tested players on a succession of Celtic managers. He scuffled deals, important deals. I go back to Stephen Fletcher, John McGinn, Castagne at various crucial times with the club and the managers, which could have led to winning league titles. And they were important players that Celtic needed to be signed and he wouldn't release the money. He played Russian roulette with the Champions League every time Celtic went into it. And their, their actual success rate in qualifying for the group stages is no great. Could be, could have been a lot better and they could have had a lot more financial gain from it. And his legacy will be 29 trophies, but it should have been 30. And the Celtic fans will find that one. That's the hardest one that they'll find to forgive him. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Anthony. do everything. You know, in the Untouchables film, Sean Connery grabs Kevin Costner and says, what are you prepared to do to Joe Capone? Right? That's the premise of the film. And the Celtic board, I would ask them the same question. What were you prepared to do to land the ten? And the answer this season is we saw the train coming, didn't bother, were ill-prepared from the get-go. And as I say, 29 trophies for all, it's fantastic, brilliant, but there's still that lingering kind of regret that it should be 30 and the fans will, will find, you know, they'll find it hard to forgive and forget that. Jim, I was talking to you before you came on, on air there. Because obviously you were involved, uh, greatly involved in the uh, Save Our Celts movement, which, uh, you know, it was a street movement. It was very, uh, you know, it was monumental in terms of the fanzines and Celts for Change that came later. Uh, and obviously we were able to oust the old board. The incoming um, regime of Fergus McCann um, was a huge part of the Celtic history. Is this the biggest upheaval we're going to see since? those days of McCann coming in? I mean, we don't have a stadium to build, of course. We might have a share issue at some point in the future. But is this uh, the incoming uh, Dominic Mackay got as big a job on his hands um, in, in relation to the upheaval of this club since since Fergus McCann? Is it that big? I don't think so. I think this should be fairly seamless. You're taking one guy out, bringing one guy back in. Uh, just to echo the points that Tony made, because we had a brief chat beforehand, there are there obviously is two Peter Laws and the one, as Tony said, the one's a guy who manages the business and manages the finance and balances the books and makes some money for the shareholders and, and he's like a good guy. But <laughs> a, 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 a chief executive to me should be invisible. You should know who he is in a football club. But this guy's visible. And why is he visible? Because he keeps coming out his his area and getting involved in the stuff he really shouldn't get involved in. And all the stuff Tony said... You know, I was going to say the exact same things. You know, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision in an area that you shouldn't be involved in. Now, if if this new guy comes in and he does the same thing, then it won't get any better. So we'd have to draw some thick lines around what the new guy is going to get involved in. Stick to the finances, stick to the business. Don't come out that thick square line. And I can understand some of the bad decisions that has been made in the past, and I can forgive some of the bad decisions that can be made in the past. But the legacy for me and the legacy for this board is the fact that they did absolutely nothing about over 10 years of cheating. Did absolutely nothing at all. And one of the things that I dislike is this uh, a club like no other. I hate that phrase. It's like, we are the people for the good guys. It's triumphalist. Don't like it at all. But one of the things that you can say in terms of a club like no other. I can't imagine any other club in the world football being systematically cheated for 10 years and doing absolutely nothing about it. It's back of the bus behaviour for me. And that's the legacy. And what annoys me, if you get back, you always go back further than I'm going to get back. But if we get back to those years, the early 2000s, and I'm a season ticket holder, I'm sure you as well, Paul, possibly you and Laura and Tony as well. I mean, over at least 10 years, I'm buying a season ticket maybe £400 a time, four grand I've paid in to a, a league that's rigged. 50,000 other people like me paying four grand, what's that? £200 million into a rigged game. And the audacity they have, they put statements out talking about values. 
We're going to uphold the values of the club. To me, that's the legacy. They've done nothing about it. And if Peter Law wants to have a, a decent legacy, then he should do something with that before he goes. Because that's the that's that's the main thing for me. I could understand making bad decisions or making good decisions that turn out bad. I totally understand that. But the bit I understand is sitting there and doing absolutely nothing. And I blame Peter Law. I blame the board because they've let everyone down. Rant over. But the question was, do I think it's going to be as big as upheaval? No, because I think things were completely different back in the early 90s. I think this should be fairly seamless. Uh, from what I've seen, the guy is an OK guy. I think uh, us as fans, we all think that, 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 that we can comment on new players and, and new managers because we think we know a lot about stuff like that. In terms of putting a chief executive, I think we'll leave that to the guys on the board to make the right decision. As long as he takes the boxes for me, uh, then he goes on we go. He looks like he's doing a, quite a similar job to what he'll be doing just now. He's a kind of local guy as well. Uh, it kind of seems to me if you were if you were comparing him to picking a new manager, it seems like kind of Stevie Clark for me. You know, he's a kind of local guy. Uh, knows the, if you if you to compare it to Steve Clark, if he was to come in, he's somebody who's local knows the players, has managed here before. So it looks like a safe pair of hands. Uh, and we'll see what happens. When, when I'm talking about upheaval, I'm looking at the fact that, um, yes, the management and coaching staff need to be completely reviewed, as does the football operation um, in relation to will there be a director of football introduced to the football operation. The recruitment aspect to Celtic needs a complete upheaval, as does the youth development of Celtic and potentially even the facilities at Lennox Town. Then you've got post-COVID, you've got post-Brexit, and you also have the inquiry that's ongoing that obviously Celtic will need to deal with at some point in the future. I feel that we are entering a period of massive upheaval at Celtic. And so one man out, one man in. You know, Peter Law was a powerhouse when it came to figures. He was a powerhouse when it came to negotiation. Um, but he was brought in to deal with all non-football matters. And as Tony quite rightly said, he started getting involved, or maybe he was always involved, far too involved in football matters. So, Laura, when you see a new man coming into that role, how big an upheaval, how many changes are we going to see as football fans? Well, I think I'm, I think I'm in agreement with Jim as far as, um, you know, it's going to not be as big an upheaval as, for example, when Fergus McCann came in, because what what we need to remember is when Fergus McCann came in, the club was dying. It was hours away from not existing anymore. We are fortunately not in that position anymore. So from that point of view, it should be a smoother transition. Um, it's going to be a bigger transition than when, when it went from Fergus McCann to Peter Lobel, obviously because uh, Fergus McCann's tenure at the club was not anywhere near as long um, there are going to be people watching this people contributing to the pod over the week, people who have followed Celtic for a number of years who will not remember a time before Peter Lowell so from that point of view it is in itself you know, a massive a massive change I, I would probably say that um, I, I don't share a lot of Jim's views on him. I think he has mismanaged the club a lot in recent years. It's a bit like uh, Game of Thrones to me. You know, the past 10 years, the first five years of it was amazing. We peaked with Peter Lowell and now this season he's just been flying around on a big dragon, setting fire to everything. But I, I, and I, on the whole, I, I'm, I'm glad the change is coming. I do think we need to, as we have already said, praise him for the, the financial job he's done. We've seen what happens plenty of times when clubs get financially mismanaged and I'm thankful to, to know that I will have a club going forward um, mostly based on the work that he's done but as we've said as well he's this kind of Jekyll and Hyde character where you would rather um, that he didn't get involved in the, in the, the football side of things. What I would like to see in terms of you asked about whether there will be a big upheaval, I would like that to be the major change. I would like the uh, Dominic Mackay coming in to focus on what he is good at, communications, uh, financial management, commercial growth, all that kind of stuff, which unfortunately is a part of the modern game. 
but if he does that part of his job well, there's no need for him to get involved in the football inside, and that's all that we ask from somebody in his position. Do your part of the job well, leave the football inside to the other people who do their, their job well. Hopefully that will be a new manager of a higher calibre, but uh, as far as that's concerned, we just need to wait and see. Paul, when there are similarities with the, the Fergus, well, Fergus McCarthy that you've touched on, right? And I would love Dominic Mackay to give his state of the nation address, right? The way Fergus did, right? Fergus came in and said, give me five years, I'll put nine million in, I'll take five times my dough out, I'll build you a stadium fit for purpose, and I'll build you a team capable of winning the league, and I'll have a, a share issue, which will be funded by you guys. £640 a share, and the Celtic fans fell over themselves to buy them, right? Oversubscribed. But he laid it out in layman terms, this is what I'm going to do. Now, I want Dominic Mackay, his first State of the Nation address to give us a three, five, seven-year plan. Tell us where we're going, right? Tell us where we're headed. I don't want this together. No, if we work together, we can get there. Tell us where we're going. Mm. Tell us where that there is. Will we move forward? I want to know where the place is that we're moving forward to, right? So if he comes in and does that, and then secondly, as Laura said, do what you're good at. He's coming from a commercial and a marketing background. Do not get involved in the football side of the operation. Leave that to the manager who you're now going to be responsible for choosing. They have areas and fields of expertise for a reason. You know, so let the manager do the football side of things because you will get success if you leave the manager to do the football side of the operation, as we've spoken about before. That's that's the key to any good team is the the well-defined roles and the communication between Exactly, right? Don't meddle in the football. Right, it's 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 also. So I also last week I said that the thing that I would like to know is what's the vision for the club. Yeah, it was interesting. The, the quote I seen this morning from Dominic Mackay was he was very impressed by the vision. So obviously there's a vision there. We've not been this week on the Marketers Report. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Did you know that yearly Medicaid renewals will start again soon? This means millions of people who were enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic may no longer be eligible for coverage. If this may impact you, the good news is you have options. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield can help answer your questions so you can find an affordable health plan for you and your family. We want you to feel confident you're covered. Click to learn more. Policy exclusions and limitations apply. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is the trade name of Blue Cross Blue Shield Healthcare Plan of Georgia, Inc. Cool what the vision is. So the first thing would be to ask what is the vision? Tell us the vision. Tell us where we're going. Don't be reactionary. I said last week, be, be a bit more visionary, which is why I'm saying, send your first address to the Celtic supporters. Tell us everything. Be as open as you can with them and say, this is where I see is now. This is where I see is in Give, give them a specific time period. Celtic supporters can ex- accept periods of failure, but as long as they're trying and they're, they're going about it in the right direction and you know what they're trying to achieve, that's fine. You can't win them all. And as you say, Jim, yeah. that club is the other. I, I would add the dash ambition to that because at the moment in time, there seems to be no ambition. You know, they were... They were happy to dominate domestically, but in Europe there seemed to be no ambition. And something, the one word that annoyed me when Frimpong left the club, he talked about ambition. See if you're no ambitious as a Celtic football club, you want to chuck it. Because to Celtic supporters, there is no other ambitious club in world football. I know that's certainly not the reality or a truism, but in your mind and the way you feel about this football club, there shouldn't be another ambitious football club out there other than Celtic. And if Frimpong's left for reasons like that, then people upstairs really do need to have a look at themselves. You know, and, and, and Lennon has said there's other players that feel like that. Mm. You know, Frimpong's also left because he's not been coached properly. You know, and players will also leave because they're probably not being coached properly. 
So that goes back to your chief executive who's leaving a point and a manager in the showers after the, uh, no, the aftermath and euphoria of, of a Scottish Cup win. You know, not doing your duty. I think the managers that were supposed to have applied. Sorry, Joe, go I, on I there. think it goes back to the vision thing, Tony. Yeah. In terms of expectations, you have to manage the fans' expectations. Uh, because we don't know what the vision is, then maybe your expectations are too high. And we, we've had a chat about that before, Paul, but your expectations are maybe different from mine. So if you actually know what the expectations of the club is, then you can then manage the fans' expectations. You won't always achieve what you're setting out to do, but at least if you've got a vision there and the expectations there, then we all understand it. What I said last week, one of the many conversations we said, we said that if I was in charge of Celtic, I wouldn't spend more than £5 million on one player. Because if I did that, there's something wrong with the youth system and the scouting system. So you get the scouting system right, you get the youth system right, you don't have to spend silly money. But I don't know how the scouting system works. I don't know how the youth system works. I don't know. And it's, it'd be good to know a wee bit more about it. Don't tell us everything, but it'd be good to know about how they go about things. Because uh, that's the future of the club. Vision, expectations. You know, when we're talking... Say, sorry, on sorry. you go, Laura. Yeah, I would say the only concern that I have is um, a situation where maybe the CEO comes in, the new the new guy, and sort of says, well, I want to assess things. I want to see where we are and what's happening. And therefore, Neil Lennon, uh, by default, keeps his job. We're all talking about there needing to be changes on the football side. And I think that is a major issue. Um, I, I'm just concerned that there's going to be a situation where he decides to assess things rather than make, take action unless this has all been going on in the background which it must have been and he's identified a person to come in and do the job that he wants done. That is what I hope's happened. I, I would hope there's a manager lined up as well because what I don't want to happen is for, uh, for Neil Lennon to remain in charge because of a default situation where he just wants to come in and bed in um, because it's just going to leave us stagnant for, for months, maybe even a couple of years to come. Now, on the, the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Lawrence actually pointed out that next season we might still have Neil Lennon in charge. And he planted that seed in my mind and uh, it's kind of burrowed a, a hole in my mind, to be fair. But yesterday when I was talking to JP, I was talking all around the fact that uh, there would be, I'm almost resigned to the fact there'll be no change in management between now and the end of the season. Because I think what Peter Lowell does well, and it's obviously at the top of the show, Tony gave him credit for this, is he ensures the financial stability of the club. So the way that I, I was looking at this yesterday is that Peter Lowell is making sure that Celtic get through this first and foremost in as strong a position as they can. And he's not looking in terms of trophies, he's looking in terms of the balance sheet. So when we come through COVID, when things get back to closer to normal than, than they have been. Celtic will be here, we will survive. There won't be a massive hole um, in terms of finance that will exist in other teams. Now, I think that's his priority and because of that, we're not going to go through this pro process of removing Neil Lennon and his staff from their positions and then bringing in someone else and potentially paying compo for that. So I actually have now resigned myself to the fact, particularly after today's news, that there's going to be no changes other than the big change that was announced between now and the end of the season in terms of the football side of the club. I think transfer-wise, it will be minimal. Uh, I, I do expect maybe another one to go out, but in terms of people coming in, it will be minimal. Um, now, Jim, I'm going to come back to a point you made because I don't want to skirt over it. But we're talking about some of the things that uh, Peter Lowell didn't do as well because we have a tendency when someone goes... Um, to eulogise about their successes, nine in a row, quadruple treble, and we've taken all that on board. But you mentioned something there in relation to the downfall of the Rangers and how that was managed and the after-effects of that, because obviously things will never be the same again. Now, what I would ask you, Jim, um, and again, obviously, what another, another subject that may come into this is the failure to deal with Resolution 12 stroke 11, which seems to have been buried, you know, kicked so far down the road and completely buried. What do you think uh, Peter Lowell should have done? I think it was quite straightforward. I mean, uh, three or four years ago, there was a the White Trial where all this stuff came out in the Court of Law. 
where the chairman of the club concerned admitted in open court under oath that they didn't submit the documentation to the SFA because they knew if they submitted that documentation they'd be in trouble. They admitted to not paying tax because they knew if they did that they'd be in trouble. And the SFA have got rules and regulations that if you don't do these things and you play any of these players, it's a thin defeat. That's the rules. That's the rules. And what we're not asking for is any favours, and this is not a rant, we're not asking for any favours, just apply the rules. Just apply the rules. And it's not just us that were involved in this rig game. Every other club was involved in that. And if you take somebody like the 2008 Cup final, Queen of the South, Queen of the South get to their first ever Cup final. Dumfries is emptied. They're all going to the Cup final at Hamden. And by the way, the Cup final was delayed for two weeks to let Rangers catch up with their fixture. Partly due to the fact they'd cancelled a couple of games beforehand for no reason. So they play this Cup final at Hamden and they lose 3-2, the biggest day in Queen of the South uh, football history. And they lose 3-2 and every single one of those Rangers players was registered. So they were cheated. Cheated at the Scottish Cup. Now, you wouldn't expect Queen of the South to challenge the SFA because they're a we diddy club to, 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 to call them that. We could have challenged them. We're a big club. But we're a big diddy club because we didn't challenge them. Why didn't we challenge them? I have no idea. And no one's explained as to why we didn't challenge them. Because there's all these trophies and all these cups. They really should be ours. Because they say cheats never win, but cheats actually did win. And all this stuff is out in, in the court. And it's well known. So why didn't we challenge it? Because there was something going around in Twitter last week or so where it showed what's happened in the last 20 years. And in those last 20 years, there was 50 wee circles with Celtic on them and five wee circles with Rangers on them. 2003, 5, 9, 10, 11. And it's been proved that they were cheating. And what I would have done if it was Peter Law, because Peter Law is meant to be quite well in with the guys in UEFA. Why has he dropped him a line, simple line to say, here's a transcript from a court case. They cheated. Here's the SFA rules against the rules. Therefore, I can't imagine in any other country in the world that you wouldn't then take those trophies away from the team that's cheated and give them to the team who are second or runners-up. Why wouldn't you do that? The Peter Law's not done that. Or Demet Desmond's not done that. And they've not explained to the Celtic fans why they haven't done that. So, three words. Shame on you. Shame on you for not actually doing anything about that. That's my rant over. No. But the, the, the thing I would say about that is, though, that cheaters definitely don't prosper. I mean, they ended up dying, for want of a better word, in 2012. You know, it did come back to bite them eventually, regardless of anybody's inaction. Um, I, I just personally find today a bit more of a day to focus on what what might be happening going forwards. We've got a new young guy, hopefully with some fresh ideas, appears to have been successful in his previous job. We've been calling for this change for however long, um, and it's come today, and I think it's just it's a day for looking to the future. Laura, I think know, the yes, events... You have to look to the future, but the question was, what's Peter Law's legacy? Now I've got a few mates of Rangers fans, and they give me the 55 stuff. And they'll never convince me of the 55 stuff. And the same way that I'll never convince them that, that, it's, that it's not 55. And this is the legacy. 55 is down to Peter Law. That's who it's down to. Now, as again, I'm not, as I said, having some sort of rant. These are all facts. I'm not making these things up. My question is a dead, dead simple question. Why did Celtic Football Club not do anything about that when they were cheated for over a decade? It's, it's, it's a dead simple question. That's the legacy. Before you go, tell us why you didn't do anything about that. Well, it's only... Yeah, we should look for the guys there. Sorry, when you go on. question that Peter Lowell can answer, isn't it, Jim? And he's no yes. answer. And he's no answer that in the eight years, nine years that have preceded the downfall of Rangers in 2012. It's highly unlikely yeah. that he's going to answer it now. That's and also, Paul, you mentioned uh, Resolution 12... I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a bunch of guys who spent the last seven years, a lot of the last seven years, trying to get Celtic to do what Celtic should have done. And these guys have spent a ridiculous amount of time trying to get Celtic to do the right thing. And Celtic have messed them about. It's appalling, absolutely appalling how they've been treated. That's for me the legacy. Yeah, you guys coming on board, we wish you the best of luck and, and hope for things get better. But in terms of legacy, for me, that's the legacy. 
Laura, you were talking about looking forward. Now, when you look at the events of the last few weeks, uh, obviously the, the massive thing is that we've lost the league. That's, I mean, I think we're all accepting of that. But the, the flip side of that is off the field issues, the Dubai debacle, and everything that happened after that, the criticism that uh, followed the, the apology from Peter Lowell, the outburst by Neil Lennon, the disconnect between the supporters and the club. Do you think that sped up this announcement? I don't think it sped up the decision, but the actual announcement itself. It wouldn't surprise me um, because I think we're in a position where much more deliberation and much more delay in deciding what was happening going forward was only just going to result in more unrest among the supporters. We've talked before about uh, season ticket sales coming up for renewal and that being a particular issue that, you know, had things remained the way they were, perhaps that wouldn't have uh, gone as well for the club as they would have hoped. My suspicion is that that's probably one of the main motivations behind the timing of the announcement is um, to try and secure some sort of uh, sort of bedding of positivity from the support going forward and a reason to renew your season ticket if you were at all um, thinking about not doing so. Um, I, I think that one of the other advantages of, of, of Dominic Mackay, the brief amount of uh, reading I've done about him is he actually came into um, Scottish Rugby as a communications and, and public affairs consultant and and sort of chief of that department before he made the step up to to head honcho overall and so one of the things that I want him to bring into the club as well as we've we've been crying out for communication from the club and communication of a certain type uh it's been appalling this season the the statements that have come out uh, the names that celtic fans have been called by our own club the way we've been held in contempt by some of the people uh within the club what i would hope happens going forward regardless of whether it is all lip service or not in the first instance i hope it's not lip service obviously going forward but what i would want is more communication and more appreciation of what the support are trying to say and what the support are trying to communicate and hopefully with his background that's something that Dominic Mackay can bring in. You know Tony when we're, we're talking about the the future we're looking ahead uh, one of the big things that struck me obviously about uh, Dominic Mackay is the fact that he does seem to have a knack of listening to what the fans want. I mean, he speaks about that himself. I think like everybody else all morning, I've been spending my time trying to find interviews with him. Um, but he, he did have this vision and that Jim speaks about and the vision that you've spoken about today as well, Tony. And I hope that he does address the Celtic supporters. I hope there is a completely different approach uh, because I feel, as a Celtic fan, a, a great deal of contempt um, um, from... The, the club, rather than this engagement, I, I feel as though there's a, a there's a contempt towards the Celtic support. Um, do you think that's going to be one of the biggest the biggest changes that we're going to see immediately? Is this communication that Laura talks about? Yeah, the first thing when you look at anything about Donald McKay or you do any kind of background, there is the first thing that springs to mind is these words: a heavier focus around fan engagement might be slightly different in a rugby sense. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You know, because there's alcohol around the state stadium and all that kind of stuff, right? And 
he's also a, a, he's very pro bringing alcohol back into ground and stuff like that. But it, that statement itself shows you that he's willing to listen. And if he's willing to listen, and he is purportedly a Celtic supporter, so he is now a kind of fan representative on the board. And if he spent all his life listening to fans of another sport, then it's a, it's a transferable skill. All he's doing is going from rugby to the football pitch. And if he's willing to engage with supporters and listen, then surely he'll take on the views. You know, and he, he's now he's swapping a scarf for a club tie, but it doesn't make him any less of a fan. And again, we spoke about this last week, having someone who's willing to communicate and have their ear to the ground with what the fans are saying. You know, and as Laura's pointed out as well there and Jim too, he, the fans have a massive voice. And the one thing that could earn them real brownie point for the Celtic supporters is listening. Coming out and saying, what would you like to happen? This is my vision and that this is where I see where we're going and I see what's going to happen in the future. But what would you like to see happen? And see if he just listens and engages, then that's a start. The other, the other thing I was going to say as well was um, I, I watched an interview that was circulating uh, about his re- recapping and what he'd done with the Scottish rugby game and one of the things I was really encouraged to see was he introduced that <coughs> kids getting in for a pound type of thing and you know I'm not saying that that's something that financially Celtic will be able to do uh, rugby and uh, football are two completely different sports but it speaks to uh an appreciation of the values of Celtic Football Club that we have been told are presently on the board and presently with the people who are representing the club, despite them doing things this season and previously that completely fly in the face of that. So hopefully he can reintroduce an ethos and a a kind of way of working that is more supportive and more indicative of the values that we all like to, to say that we have. He's very proactive in various things. I mean, he was the guy that brought the Pro 14 final to Celtic Park, right? Brought more revenue into the club. Right? He, he was the guy that uh, facilitated Celtic's move to Murrayfield when Parkhead was being used for the Commonwealth Games. He brought the Liverpool-Napoli game to Murrayfield. So he clearly does show that he, he can listen and communicate. And he's, he's got some real transferable skills there, as I've said. You know, and that's, that's quite an impressive track record for someone who is not totally involved in football. But he saw, he's obviously been able to see the crossover and he's worked with football people and Celtic. And if Celtic's his club of choice, then great. And if he is such a Celtic supporter, go and prove it. Shows your ambition. It's obviously a very similar job that he's coming to, so yeah. he should be able to hit the ground running. With this stuff, yeah, you mentioned overcomplicate things or oversimplify overcomplicate things that we as fans have mentioned half a dozen things the club should be doing. Simple things. You don't have to be a genius to come in and start doing these five or six simple things. You know, if he listens to him and he implements maybe two or three of them, then there's there's cause for optimism moving forward. You know, not implement them all, but if he just shows a willingness to engage, and and as you say. You mentioned six which, which is dead simple. Dead simple thing to do. You don't treat your fans as right. customers. You treat them as fans. You yeah. treat them as Because you're a supporter on that board and being given the role that, you know, you're, you're acting on behalf of the supporters. And if you're a supporter yeah. and it gets you the way it does you and I, then, you know, that, that having this club guy in this position, this exalted position, it should really... Getting his bones, he pinned his bones, and he should be like, yeah, he should be the happiest man in the world at this moment in time. He's just assumed the most important position apart from the managers and players at Celtic Football Club. Oh, absolutely. Now, one of the big things that I've already mentioned is that we need a, an entire um, overhaul of the recruitment policy and strategy at Celtic Football Club. Now, part of that is that someone in the position of the incoming Dominic Mackay shouldn't have the same involvement in these deals as the outgoing Peter Lowell. Now, Jim, you've already spoken about the legacy or the blots in the notebook of Peter Lowell. I think another big one on the football side of things has been this issue around recruitment. I mean, he's been a a pseudo-director of football himself. Do you think Celtic will need to employ a director of football and restructure the whole football department, Jim, for us to, to develop and for us to move on? 
Well, I think the thing is, being just fans, we're, we're just trying to guess what's going on just now. So do we actually know what the contents of this review actually cover? Are we going to be told what that's about? Because the appointment of Dominic Mackay is a kind of business decision. It's not really a football decision. And what I said last week, if you're going to go after any good chief executive, he'll be in work just now, and that will take you six months before you get the guy. So are we, are we, are we really saying nothing's going to happen for six months? Or as Laura said, there's things going on in, in the background just now. Could we have maybe brought in maybe a, a football consultant, somebody like Arsene Wenger or somebody, for a month just to look at the whole club? So who's actually conducting this review? And what are the qualifications of that person to conduct the review? And will we hear the results? Because, yeah, we can talk about scouting and we can talk about youth development and recruitment and all that kind of stuff. Is that the things that have been looked at just now? Or was it just about having a new chief executive and maybe a new management structure? Again, we don't know because we're just fans. We're just trying to guess. I would like to think the whole thing's been looked at and a decision has been made that we're either going to have, as you said, Paul, a new director of football and a head coach or we're going to stick with a kind of football manager structure. be good to know what it's going to be. Again, the point we've made before, be good to tell us. Just tell us what you're thinking of doing so we can manage your expectations. What do you think in terms of managing expectations, Tony? The Celtic fans, despite the announcement today, are still looking for a response, uh, the results of this this uh, review. Do you think that today's events changes everything? We're not going to get any update. This is your update. We're making big changes. Um, I would still expect them to come out and tell us what the situation is on a managerial level with Neil Lennon. The final insult would be not to give you a response to the review or an answer to the review. That'll be the final insult in the season, which has been catastrophic, disastrous. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fans are entitled to see the results of that review. They really are. Because they, as I said last week, they, they never took a refund. They shelled out their door. There's people, when I said, that they might not have a job by end of all this pandemic. You know, so I think they're entitled to some sort of answer as to what the results of this review. They have to publish them or, or communicate some kind of answer. And as for the manager, the four of us here know that his time's up. His time is up. Results get you the sack. Right? And the results this season haven't been good enough. And I'm like Laura, I'd like to think that this is the first brick in the new kind of building blocks, that they have been scouting a manager in the background. It would be churlish to think, oh, it would be stupid to think that they weren't doing that, but Again, it's Celtic. Nothing surprises you with Celtic. They just don't do things the way a big club should. As I said last week, they are masquerading as a big club at this moment in time. But hopefully this is the first step to them addressing some real issues and problems that they have in the club. And as you say, the first step on the rebuild. But how could they not be looking at a new manager at this moment in time? Manager, The manager who two days ago said the players want to leave the club. This is a Celtic manager. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sean, one of your up-and-coming talents for a lot of money who's told you he's went to a more ambitious club than Celtic, but he's left because he's not been coached. He's, he's actually regressed. Can you imagine Frimpong under Brendan Rodgers? He'd have sold him for 25 million quid. Right? Something has gone wrong at all levels here. The board managerially and with the playing staff. So you start with the first building brick, you get in a new CEO, fine. And as long as that's followed by some manager of repute, and if Dominic Mackay's worth his salt, then you might think it's worth investing a lot of money in a manager of repute. That's what I hope's. Yeah, absolutely. Laura has spoken previously about um, the implementation of a different model, a different way of thinking at Celtic. Um, what I, I've, I've had a think about it, Laura. What do you think would be the time, or does it go back to what Tony says about tell us your vision? What time would Celtic fans allow the club um, to go through, let's say, one season to three seasons without domestic success? If If you are trying to implement a new model, um, are Celtic fans going to demand uh, results immediately? Are we 
you know, are we patient enough to say we understand that we might not win the league for another season after this one? How long do you think the Celtic support um, is willing to wait? Or does that again come down to the effectiveness of the communication from the new man? Listen, I, I think the, the main thing that we have to acknowledge here is that we are the club with the biggest number of or amount of resources in the country. I think even in a situation where we were, are having a major overhaul and trying to implement new systems and new ways of working, there's really no excuse for us not to be able to provide success throughout that period. You know, I think I think a lot of the smaller clubs in the country would scoff at the idea that uh, that we think that it's going to affect our level of success um, because of having to implement some of these things. Uh, as far as for timescale of these things, I was having some very grand ideas about, you know, completely overhauling the the way in which we work, focusing on youth academy development, developing those players or, or buying extremely uh, shrewd cheap business elsewhere uh, developing that and then selling it on at a high price a lot of people said you know it was kind of pie in the sky stuff when I said it the first time but I would be satisfied with a model that allowed us to be regularly successful domestically with the occasional very very good run in Europe I think that's all that most Celtic supporters want out of their club at the moment um, it's certainly more than we've been getting in recent years. Um, and as far as as far as things go, like I said, timescale could be, you know, you could be talking over the next decade as far as implementing these changes. But I don't think, obviously, that we can forego uh, domestic success in that situation. And I don't think we would have to, because like I said, resources are there that we should be able to still maintain that in the meantime. But Laura, why can't they be successful in both domestic and the European front? At the moment, I think it's uh, partly down to um, what I was saying before about the youth development and the coaching and and the standard of managers that we've had previously. I mean, Brendan Rodgers is the the highest standard of manager we've probably had in for certainly since Martin O'Neill and and since Jockstein before him, probably. Um, I think what we are noticing as far as European football is concerned is the way that the way that other clubs are operating caters much more to European football and how it works. We are ju- we are not very uh, savvy when it comes to that. You know, we, we you see us play and we lose a lot of late goals and we and we don't appear to know how to play when we go ahead in big European games. We just seem very naive, and that's even on the basis of having re- relatively regular European football. So whether it takes bringing a, a more international-type coaching set up and behind the scenes, never mind just on the field, that's probably the only thing that's going to help us, and, and that can hopefully rub off on our, our domestic coaches and players. A new manager would need to address an away record in Europe as well, which is absolutely yeah. utterly appalling. How can yeah. be one of the few teams that can go away from home and get a result? It just it, it, it's staggering, it really is. But again, a new manager would set them up to play in a, a you know a set way in order to get results. So I, I agree with what you're saying, Laura. I just, <laughs> The other thing that uh, somebody raised the other day was like when Flex and some of the other players were coming into the first team, they didn't know how to play the system because it wasn't the same system they were playing in the youth teams. If you look at Barcelona or an Ajax or one of the big teams, Bayern Munich, they teach the same systems, the same ways of playing from the from the yeah. under nines right the way up. So that if there's a one-off chance that a 17, 18 year old has to come into the the first team, they know what their role is, they know what they're doing, and they're probably doing it with better players. So they should fit in even even easier. One other, one other, yeah. That's whole vision. That's getting everything right. That's about getting youth development right. It's about the right players and to. To deal with youth development now, the people we have at the moment are ex-players. Is that the best to look after the youth? I don't know if it is. We must look at other clubs in Europe, clubs that have done this before. Get their guys in. Sorry, if you, Laura, and I are pointing that out, why has no one at the club seen that? Why? Why is and then we are seen as troublemakers? 
we don't we don't understand how our football club works. Well, actually, we, we kind of do because we're offering solutions. We're not just throwing problems out there. You know exactly. I think most things are quite simple. I think you don't want to overcomplicate things. So we need a youth system. Who's, who's actually got a good youth system? If it's Ajax or whoever it is, go and get a couple of youth guys, youth coaches from there, bring them over, implement their practices. Who's got a good scouting system? Get their guys in, do some scouting. Who's a good manager? Get him in. Just do the simple things. Yeah, but I mean, if you're doing your homework, you would go to Ajax and look at it all from the top to bottom. You would yeah. go to Germany, which is the Bundesliga yeah. is the fastest rising league in Europe. Go and see what they did, you know, after they get hammered in one of the World Cups and they say to themselves, right, this stops. We, we restructure our whole football from grassroots up. I mean, surely somebody else appoint somebody to say, I'm going to Ajax, I'm going a, a year, I'm taking a year sabbatical and I'm going on a a mission to look at all these clubs, look at their youth systems, as Laura says, and look at their coaches, learn, just learn, absorb, a sponge, just take everything down and come back and see, right, this is what Ajax do, this is what they do in the Bundesliga, this is what they do in La Liga, this is what they do in the French League, right? Now we know also, that... Also, yeah. oh, also Tony, yeah. what I said earlier is... You know, I think people like Ralph Ranick has been mentioned in the past, and yeah, if you could get him, that'd be fantastic. But why not bring him in for a month and get him to review the whole club, top to bottom, pay him 50 grand, 100 grand, review the whole thing. Because he's obviously a guy who knows what he's doing. Go and ask his opinion, but and also you should be going and ask, not only ask him if he wants a job, but go and say to him, look, Ralph, what would you recommend? You know, as you say, and you should pay him that consultancy fee because he's turned that club around, you know what I mean? So he, he's had a phenomenal success and he's currently out of job. And as I said last week, playing in front of 60,000, managing a club with 60,000 followers, it's a bit of a powerful drug. Celtic is a manager's and a player's club. Now, you maybe not, you can't persuade Ralph Rang to do it, but, you know, give him a hard sell. You have to approach a guy like that if he's currently out of work approach Eddie Howe because he's currently out of work, approach Rafa, and people think that these are pie in the sky. Why, why should they be pie in the sky? Go and ask them the question. Go, let them give you an answer and say, you know what, it's not for me. Fine, you can accept that. Of course, my, my, kind of, yeah, my kind of main point was, even if you brought the guy in for a month, yeah, just to review everything that's happening, do a report on, on the whole club, top to bottom, youth development, recruitment, Management structure, the whole thing. Pay him a hundred grand for a month just to review the whole thing, and then put those implement them. You would, find it hard, you would find it hard to part with them after a month, though. <laughs> That's the thing, because they would come out with yeah, something. That, that might be the wee hook. You know, the, the chance I'm going to bring this up, Tony. I'm go, I've got to bring this up from Joe Porter. Lobo will end up on next year's Dancing Nice. There's probably more chance of that, Joe, than him ending up on Axom's bulletin, even though we have approached him. But uh, thanks for bringing a wee bit of humour to the to the discussion. Now, when, when I looked, at, I brought up a, a comment earlier on talking about him being a Celtic man, and um, there is one thing that I, I need to I need to point this out. People talk about Peter Lowell and you know he becomes almost a caricature he's been on the banners recently outside Celtic Park but again he is a Celtic fan he is a Celtic fan because his his team growing up was the Quality Street Gang so I have had a discussion with him um, many moons ago about the fact that you know he looked at players like George Conley, Kenny Dalglish, Danny McGrain, and he speaks about them passionately as a Celtic fan. But I think because he's been um, at the, the the kind of sharp end, uh, the business side of Celtic for so so long, it doesn't come across like that. Particularly, you know, in that that apology interview that he gave us. It just seems almost detached from Celtic supporters. But I think that can happen if you're so involved in an organisation um, and you're, you know, the criteria that you're trying to tick day in, day out isn't just, um, you know, making sure that there's there's a, a team on the park that's going to win all and sundry. It's everything else that goes with that. So it is definitely a Celtic supporter and I'm pretty sure he will be when he leaves the club as well. Is it important, do you think, Tony, that at that level that you need 
a Celtic fan in place or is it just a desirable? Because obviously we've heard that uh, Dominic Mackay, Celtic season ticket holder, do you have to have a Celtic state in mind? I think it's a desirable. It's not important. It's The only important credential is to be a CEO or can you do the job properly? You know, and the last CEO was a Celtic supporter, you just said there, and seemingly has Celtic in his soul, which we get excited by Ian Banke in the statement today, because I had a pop at Peter Lowell last week saying he didn't have it in his heart and soul. He wasn't a Celtic man, he was a businessman. So I think that was a wee bad with this uh, podcast, which is good. Shows he listens and he's aware of it. Uh, but no, I don't think it's, a, it's not a prerequisite, it just helps. But Dominic Mackay will help himself by just not getting involved in the football business and just yeah. doing what he's got to the club to do. You know, with the commercial side, the marketing side, the financial side. And that's the one thing Dominic Mackay can learn from Peter Lowell. Just take a step back. And as Jim said right at the top of the programme, be silent. Give your state of the nation's addresses when you have to. Speak when you have to. Listen, absorb. You don't need, you don't need to be a it could be a faceless name. You know, being the CEO of Celtic. Because you don't have to get involved in a lot. You're involved in the day-to-day running of the club, but that's your area of expertise. That's why you've been employed in that job. Peter Lowell became more than a faceless name because he would get involved in football matters. With Jim Feeney was coming out. Well, there's no doubt that Peter was a big, big Celtic fan. But when he gets the job that he gets, then his loyalty is to that club not the team at that point. He has to take a tough decision. And I think it's a hard, hard. But he's certainly a Celtic fan. Yeah. But I, I think, I was I was making the point that last week that it, it didn't hurt him the way it hurt Celtic fans watching 10 in a row just disintegrate. And if you're that much of a Celtic man and you're throwing the first string, you would have, you would have did something to address that. Because it was happening from very early on. I think the same applies to Neil Lennon as well. You know, if he's such a Celtic man and has the club in his heart the way that he he says that he does, and I'm sure that he does, he would put the club ahead of his own interests and say, I'm not the right person for this job. I'm not doing what I need to do anymore and and step aside. Now, there's myriad reasons why he might not do that, whether it's financial or otherwise. But, you know, I, I think we all need to appreciate at the end of the day that it's probably, you know, there's a there's an element of it becomes a job the same as anything when it is your job and and, and your supporter status takes uh takes a backseat to your your desire to do your job well. Of course, but there is an emotion and a bond that ties when you're talking about football clubs. It's like no other job. As Jim said they, they hated like no other club, but it is. Celtic's just know a job. It's a it's a feeling. It's it is heart and soul. It's heart, soul, mind. It's the very mention of the word. Your your life's intrinsically linked with the football club. The minute you become a supporter or an employee or, or whatever, but you're still it's still something that grips you like nothing else on earth. Or it should. I think the big mistake the big mistake Peter Lowell made was hitching himself to Lenny Boss back in November there. Because if I was Peter Lowell, you could have said, we appointed Neil Lennon, he delivered on his objectives, won the league, won the League Cup, was through to the Scottish Cup semi-final, did well in the Europa League. We gave him a lot of money at the start of the season. It was down to him. And if if Peter Lowell had pulled the trigger sooner on Neil Lennon, I think he'd still be there. Jim, you and I, Paul John... Laura can see that the trigger should have been pulled on Lennon a long time ago. After Ferron's Faros, we were talking about that, and possibly before with the, the Rangers' defeat in the December and the, the Fraser Foster League Cup final. The warning signs were there very early that things weren't going too well and they were just kind of chuntering along. And then came Ferron's Faros, then came Aberdeen, and then came the, the Rangers defeat without a shot and target, which to me is just completely unacceptable for a Celtic team to play a Rangers game and not have a shot and target. And ironically, that's Rangers have a shot and target at Ibrox. If you go back to October, November, if it had pulled the trigger then, 
yeah. I think Peter Lowe would be able to say that I took the action. Yeah. And Therefore, but, I'm okay. But my thing is, why can they not see what we're seeing? And we're, we're not privy to, you know, all everything that's going on in the club. But we're watching on as a supporter. I think, I think, I think you'll learn and convince Peter Lowe that he would, he would end up winning the league and doing the 10 and Peter Lowe hitched himself to the Lenny bus, and that was a big mistake from Peter Lowe's point of view. And I get pulled the trigger there, I think he'd still be there, as I said. And I get what Laura's saying there. That was an instance of Peter Lowe being completely and utterly detached in terms of doing a job and not being a supporter. Mm-hmm. You see, if you were being a supporter in your job, you would have saw that early on. And this calamitous season could have been avoided, or it could have been addressed, and it could have been a lot closer. And just even the structure of a challenge, I think, would have been enough to not frighten Rangers per se, but they may have dropped more points than they have. Yeah, season. exactly. Now, um, as we've been speaking on the bulletin, there has been a press conference. I don't know if it's still ongoing. Uh, Neil Lennon has been spoken to by the press, so it'll be interesting to see what his reaction is. We're obviously not in that press conference, but uh, we'll keep you posted on whether or not we ever are invited in. But, you know, we're already uh, getting, you know, Roy Keane now 2-1 to to be the next manager, thanks to that, Mark. And again, that is going back to this connection with the club because, for me, Roy Keane should be nowhere near the manager's job at Celtic Park. And the fact that his odds are so short astonishes me and, uh, you know, actually frightens me a wee bit because I don't want to see someone who is put in charge of the football club because of a connection to the club. I want to see the best possible manager that we can we can attract to Celtic Football Club. Not someone because they have a connection either to Desmond or Celtic Football Club. You know, Roy Keane is Celtic manager based on what? What's he done in management that would give him the, the job? The next appointment of a Celtic manager will show us exactly what the ambition is going forward. I hope, Tony, that, that they do spell out the vision. I think that's what it is. We keep having to guess what's happening next. So many of the comments are coming through in relation to, right, Lennon out next. I don't think it's going to happen now. I think that the club is just going to ride this out to the pre-season now. We're going to be doing that with Neil Lennon in charge. We're going to be served up the types the games that we got the other night that Laura and I uh, covered against Hamilton, which wasn't a great spectacle for, for Celtic Football Club. And we're just going to have to suck that up to the end of the season. But come out and tell us that. Communicate to us. Paul, I would gladly put up with Neil Lennon to the end of the season, as long as they were doing their due diligence on a new manager, myself and Laura have already spoken about, and then say at the end of the season, Neil, thank you for everything. It's time to go. And that new manager has been, as Jim saying, maybe being approached and doing his own recce and everything that's going on. At, le- at least someone com- coming in that they have approached and someone that comes in and says, well, actually, I was approached about this back in January. I've been working behind the scenes. I know everything about the club. Right? Because see, if they do leave it to June and then they bring somebody in, then it's the same you know, cycle. You're getting into the Champions League qualifiers unprepared, probably get parked out by some no-mark and, it, and ad, ad nauseam repeat. You know, we want somebody to come in that's going to make a difference. You say, and if the CEO can tell us that, Dominic Mackay, then all the better. But limping on with Neil Lennon and doing nothing about it, it, it wouldn't surprise you because it's, it's what they've did all season. I've just limped on in the hope that things get better. I said a few weeks ago we were in limbo and we're still in limbo unless we're actually told what's happening next. I mean, that's good we've got a new, a new guy coming in the summer. We need to know a bit more than that. What's the results of this review? What did it cover? Where do we go next? Just tell us the vision. And, and as far as Roy Keane's concerned, he's the best, one of the best pundits in telly. He should stay there. He should stay in the Sky Sports studio. Don't come anywhere near Celtic Park. Yeah. I, I agree with that. That's disappointment. Wholeheartedly oh, agree. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the football side of things. Obviously, we've got a game tomorrow, but today will be dominated by the announcement that Peter Lowell has retired from his role at Celtic Football Club. He's going to be here until June, and he will then be uh, replaced by Dominic Mackay. Yeah, 
I, I welcome fresh ideas, um, a new perspective on things. Uh, for me, it doesn't matter that he's not coming from a, a football background because a lot of this corporate stuff that he will be dealing with um, is business and hopefully he can stick to the business side of it. Uh, people have differing views on how to remember Peter Lowell, we've, I think we've given him enough credit today at the, the start of the show and we've also looked at some of the negatives uh, during his tenure at Celtic Football Club. It's always a pleasure to hear everybody's views, so thanks for getting involved on Twitter, Facebook and on YouTube. But thank you to Laura Bradburn, Jim Moore and Anthony Haggerty for joining me once again on A Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.